Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together today. In today's lesson, which was presented to the Franklin Church on August 10th of 2008, we have a special treat for you. One of our deacons, Rusty Doom, presented a lesson helping us answer the question, was Jesus really raised from the dead? No doubt this will be a great lesson to help us as we talk to our friends about the gospel message. So open your Bible and get ready to answer the question, was Jesus really raised from the dead? I appreciate so very much the opportunity to be able to stand before you this morning to lead our thoughts and the discussion from God's Word. I'm so very thankful for everyone that's here and for your interest in spiritual matters. We're going to talk today about some things that are very basic and very important to us. We encourage everyone to open their Bibles to look at the passages we're going to talk about so that we can glean the message that's there in God's Word for us. On the day of Pentecost, as Peter is addressing the Jews there and explaining things about Jesus, about this man uh, that they crucified, that was attested to them by God as his son, and we see as the, as the message is brought to an end in Acts 2 and verse 37, the record tells us that now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? They asked a very important question, a question that each and every one of us are asked, and that we must answer as well. What must I do to be saved? While this is an important question, I want us to talk about this morning what is possibly a more important question, one that we've already addressed a little bit this morning as we remembered the Lord's death, as we read those passages as Mark made his presentation as well. And that question is, was Jesus raised from the dead? So much hinges on the answer to this question. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, the passage there tells us who was declared his son with power by the resurrection from the dead. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, Peter records for us there, baptism now saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Earlier in that letter, in chapter 1 and verse 3, he tells us that we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Acts 17 and verse 31, it talks about the fact that a day of judgment is fixed and that Jesus will judge the world and God furnished proof by raising him from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 20, Christ, the first fruits of the dead, was raised, and through his resurrection we also shall one day be raised. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives Christianity its validity. It is valid based on the resurrection of Jesus. However, if Jesus was not raised, then he is not declared the Son of God. Baptism cannot save us. We are not born again and we have no hope. The day of judgment will not happen. And Christianity does not have any validity. Based on this, we can see that the proof of Jesus' resurrection becomes all-important. 
And we want to look at some of the evidence that we have in Scripture about that resurrection. To begin with, let's look at some things concerning Jesus' tomb. If you look in Matthew chapter 27, and I'm going to have some passages on the screen from the New American Standard. You can read along on the screen, or if you would, open your Bibles and read along as well. Matthew chapter 27, we'll begin reading in verse 57. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate ordered it to be given over to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. Let's look at some things about this tomb. First of all, we see that it is called a new tomb. And if we look at John chapter 19 and verse 41, we read there that no bodies had yet been laid in that tomb. This will become important later. For when the, when the body is missing, you have to answer who's, whose body is missing. The second thing that we notice in this passage is that it was hewn out in the rock. It's basically a cave. It's been carved out of solid rock. And as such, there is but one entrance, another important thing. And we also see that this one entrance is covered by a large stone. And it was such a large stone that if we read in Mark chapter 16 and verse 3, that passage tells us that when the women came to the tomb after the Sabbath, they were concerned about who they could get to help them move that stone from the tomb. So we ask the question, what was the most precious thing on earth this time. It was his body. It must be preserved. Can't allow it to be vandalized. It cannot be stolen. It will be used as the most important piece of evidence ever. And as such, its condition needs to be kept the same as it was when it entered that tomb. Think for a moment how we protect things that are important to us today, our values. In our homes, we have locks and security systems, and we may have safe. We may even have a safe in our home. And for things that we don't think are safe enough there, we put them in safety deposit box in the bank. Could any of us rest if we knew that our valuables were just stuck in a cave with a rock over it? With these things in mind, someone needed to secure that tomb to protect the body. And help comes from a most unlikely source. Let's continue reading in, in our passage in Matthew, verse 62 and following. Now the next day, which is the one after the preparation, the priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days... I am to rise again. Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. And the last deception be, will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. Along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. 
the purpose of this guard was to keep the disciples out. But in doing so, they kept away those who might seek to destroy the body. And who provides the protection? The very enemies of our Lord. It must be clear, though, that God was not dependent upon this help. It's hard for us to believe that this was a mere coincidence. And it might be interesting sometimes to look in Scripture and to see how many times through history God has used his enemies to accomplish his work and to seek his purposes. The seal and the guard on the tomb were meant to keep the disciples out. But we have to remember that that extra protection could not keep the body of Jesus in the tomb. Let's keep reading. Chapter 28, beginning verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning. And the angel, sorry, I lost my place. And his appearance was like lightning, and his garment as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him, and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, Come see the place where he was lying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. The body is gone. How can this be explained? Is it possible had Jesus not died? We've all heard of stories of where someone has thought to have died. And while they're about to be prepared for burial, they revive. Could this have happened with Jesus? Let's look at some of the evidence. The night before the crucifixion, Jesus was up all night. He was being mocked and stood upon and slapped. The next day before Pilate, he was scourged. Now, this was a Roman being. The Jews would have, would have only hit, hit Jesus 39 times. But a Roman beating may have been much worse. We don't know how many times he was hit. But we do know that he lost blood as a result of those beatings. He was mocked. A robe was placed on his bloody back. That one removed, his own replaced, and that one removed again before being nailed to the cross. We can see this in Matthew chapter 27, verses 26, 28, verses 31 and 35. All of this causing him to lose more blood. While on the cross, Jesus uttered, I thirst. The medical community will tell us that this is a symptom of blood loss. Then the guards were about to break his legs to hasten to death, but seeing that he was already dead, they did not. But to be certain, they pierced his side, causing more blood loss along with water. They made certain that Jesus was dead. 
So what conclusions do we draw? Did Jesus uh, simply lose consciousness? And without food or water for the time that he was in the tomb, could have revived, removed the wrapping, moved this large stone from the front of that cave, and then made it past the guards? Can we at all believe that that's possible? Well, maybe the disciples came by way of another entrance. Well, wait, we talked about that. This new tomb had only one entrance. It was hewn out of a rock. Could the guards have fallen asleep and some vandals come and stolen the body? This also would seem to be a stretch. That someone could have broken the seal, moved that large stone, and could have slipped past the Roman guard while they were asleep on duty, which would have put them at jeopardy for losing their own life. Is it possible then that Jesus was raised from the dead? Well, we have witnesses. Mary Magdalene and the other women first saw the empty tomb, and later Jesus appeared to her himself. What about Peter and John? John arrived first, but Peter entered and but Peter entered, and according to John chapter twenty, verses six and seven, the scene in the tomb did not indicate a hurried departure. And verse 8 tells us that when John entered the tomb and saw these things, he believed. What about the two men on the road to Emmaus? The eleven disciples and others. But let's slow down a minute. Turn over to Luke chapter 24. Begin reading verse 36. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still while they still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. When Jesus appeared first to the disciples, verse 37 says they thought they were seeing a spirit. Remember, they had seen him die on the cross. They had seen him put in that tomb. But Jesus invites them to handle him, to look on his hands and his feet, to see the marks and the imprints of the nails from where he had been put on the tree. And then verses 42 and 43 tells us that he ate a piece of broiled fish. Even with this clear picture of the risen Christ recorded by Luke, there are those that still maintain that he only appeared as the Spirit. Look at verses 44 and 45. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Think of how much this must have meant 
with these close followers of Jesus, to have their minds open to understand all of the prophecies and teachings about Jesus. Who else could have done this? Who else but our Lord and Savior? Yes, it is Jesus that is before them. Now let's look over in John chapter 20. Verses 24 and 25. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I shall see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger in the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. The whole week has passed. Where had Thomas been? We don't know. The disciples had been discussing Jesus' resurrection. His misfortune becomes our fortune because he becomes a most convincing witness. It's as if he's from today, people from Missouri, the show me state. I've got to see it before I'm going to believe it. Well, that's John. I'm sorry, that's Thomas, recorded in John. He demanded absolute proof. Look back now at verse 26 through 29. And after eight days again, his disciples were inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hand. And reach here your hand and put it into my side, and be not unbelieving, but believing. Then Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Thomas saw, he touched, he believed. He made that great confession, My Lord and my God. But what an important thing to see in verse 29 for us. Where Jesus says, Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Maybe there are some questions about our witnesses here. Were they mistaken? If there had only been one witness, maybe two, we might think that. But all of these people who followed Jesus throughout his ministry not likely they were mistaken. Or maybe they were liars. Did they simply want to save face? Maybe they wanted the fame, the attention that might be associated with this. It doesn't seem likely, though, because we know from history that they died for their testimony. They taught and persuaded many in that day, and they continue to do so today through the Scriptures that we have recorded. We can't talk about these things without thinking about the song in our book. Song number 167, We Saw Thee Not. Because the very words in that song come from the things that we talked about this morning. All these things happened. We didn't see any of them. Yet we believe. I certainly hope today's lesson edified you and glorified God. 
you have any questions about this lesson or if you have any spiritual needs or prayer requests, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. Also, if you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area, we would love to meet you. Feel free to be our guest in any of our classes or assemblies. You can find a schedule of our meeting times and directions to our building on our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.